Hey, I'm excited to jump into our study of the Word today, but before we do that, we've got a little video uh, to watch. I got to sit down with uh, Ron Wetter uh, today from our, or not today, I sat him earlier in the week, uh, asking some questions about kind of uh, the finances of the church, and so we wanted to, to give you this update, so let's, uh, let's roll that. Uh, hey, I'm Matt, and I'm joined by Ron Wetter. Uh, who is the president of the Friends of Christ Foundation and also a member of our finance team. And uh, it's great to have you. Uh, here you have some other famous titles. Yes, thank you, Pastor Matt. I am uh, frequently known as Dave Ramsey's lookalike, uh, <laughs> Abbott's sidekick, uh, Costello, and uh, most importantly, Rachel's dad, which All is right. the role I enjoy the most. Thank hey, you. cheers to that. Cheers, cheers to daughters, to huh? There you go. They're great. Yep. Uh, so I want to ask you some questions about the finances uh, of the church. Sure. So first question is, hey, 2020 has now become this two-year thing. It's been rough on churches. Um, are, we, are we broke? So close, Matt, because we brought in a couple of new guys. <laughs> no. And the church is definitely reeling from that transition. But uh, truthfully <laughs> and, and uh, non-jokingly, uh, God has been really faithful. Mm through the COVID times and as we're emerging now even, uh, that our giving has held uh, steady. Uh, there's obviously been some challenges uh, with both um, our, our expense side, as well as in our congregation, of course, uh, enduring this crisis. But mm. uh, God has been uh, able to bless even through that, even so much so that we were able to give uh, nearly $100,000 to the community during wow. the COVID uh, um, campaign that we had to uh, to give out to the community. Wow, uh, that, that's super encouraging to hear because I have a lot of uh, pastor friends that are leading churches that are going through extremely hard financial times be just because of everything that's been going on. So right. it's awesome to see you know that that generosity and that, that kind of provision from God. Um, how would you tell us? Um, uh, bring me up to speed on how do people traditionally give in this church? Right. Well, we're used to pretty much three main avenues of giving. First is our, our, our weekly or monthly offerings that we give for the general fund, which are mainly to, uh, to take care of the ministry expenses, staff salaries, the ongoing operations of the church. Which we appreciate. Yes, yes. And, uh, and then the second way has always been uh, in our programs, such as the missions trips and the uh, VBS and other camps, we've been able to give uh, as the, the, our youth learn to fundraise and uh, partner with uh, the congregation to send them to places near and far. Sure. And then the third way has been our uh, th every three-year capital campaign where we pledge a certain uh, offering to cover specifically our facilities and uh, most of late uh, our mortgage uh, or our loans on the buildings that we have. Yeah, it's amazing the facility that has been built here uh, through those campaigns and just over the years. I mean, just incredible just on a daily basis to see kind of all the things going on with the, the seminary and the school. I mean, just all these things happening. The ESL program, just things are uh, just, just happening here. And it's just cool to see the legacy of that. So now, now here we are going forward. Uh, someone asked me uh, real quick when I came in. So, okay, Matt, we're overdue for a capital campaign. Are you ready to lead us in a capital campaign? And I was like, oh no, I just, I just got here. I'm just still trying to like learn people's names and all of that. And 
which I'm, I've been really having a great time uh, uh, getting to know people. But we've actually just uh, started thinking a lot uh, with the, the session and the, the finance team about, okay, so what's kind of our plan going forward? We don't have any plans uh, at the moment to build any more buildings, just try to use kind of facilities that we do have. Uh, and so we came to the conclusion of, uh, rather than continuing in the three-year cycle of capital campaigns uh, as our strategy for paying uh, the remaining uh, building loans that we have, uh, to instead have an annual uh, stewardship uh, series. It doesn't quite have all the same things attached to a capital campaign, but just kind of frank conversations uh, with the congregation every November uh, about um, uh, the one we're, we're doing right now called All In, uh, which we just kind of think about um, what are we investing in the church and in the mission of the church. And it's, it's bigger than just thinking about finances. It also includes like, what are we doing with our time and our talent that God's given us? How are we, how are we serving? Uh, and also, what are we doing with the financial resources God's given us? How are we, how are we, how are we giving? And so we're giving people the opportunity uh, this time around uh, to make a faith promise uh, about not just the building campaign, but just all of their giving, particularly the first and the third areas that you mentioned, the, the regular giving towards the ongoing ministry and also the paying for the facilities. So we're inviting people to give uh, one faith promise, or some people say pledge, uh, towards uh, towards that. Um, why are we doing that and, and why is that a, a good idea? It's a good idea to uh, maybe infuse into uh, all of us, you know, an annual time where we can reflect, look at the year ahead, be thankful for the year behind us, and then, uh, yeah, take it in, into stock our treasure, our time, our talents, mm -hmm. and what is the Lord asking us to do? Not necessarily for a long period of time out, but what is the next thing that the Lord is asking? What, What's the next year? What is he asking us to do and being able to do that? The other thing is that, you know, these campaigns, as much as they do help with structuring the ability to give on a pledge, um, by pledge basis, uh, there is a huge amount of effort uh, required by both the staff and us uh, in the congregation to manage and put on those campaigns. And so even with outside help, which we've had traditionally in the last few years, uh, it's very difficult, it's very distracting uh, to um, focus on that for that period of time and not be looking at the other things that God is asking us to do. Um, yeah, makes sense. Anything else you want to kind of share with the congregation as we're coming into this uh, uh, stewardship series? Sure, I think it, it really is good for us on an annual basis to really take stock. I think we can all look back and say that God has really blessed us through this time. Uh, I know that, uh, as you mentioned, there are many other faith communities who have struggled uh, in various ways uh, during this time, and we've had our struggles too. But mm -hmm. God has definitely been very faithful, and I think he's asking us now, especially as we're emerging from this time, our new staff and uh, a new way of um, approaching our community now that we, the world has changed, being able to really take stock of that and, and, and respond to the Lord, whatever he's asking us in our heart. Cool. Hey, thanks for taking time with us today. Sure, Matt. Yeah. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> so I, I don't know if you know, he's funny. Oh, my goodness, he's a funny guy. So it's a great time with that. Hey, just want to encourage you, invest in the church, invest in our mission. 
uh, check out the ministry fair after the service and see if there might be a way that you'd like to engage in service. Uh, those cards will come in the mail and just prayerfully consider how you want to contribute financially to the mission of the church and we'll just keep on moving and seeking to fulfill our mission together. About five years ago, uh, I was in a grocery store with my youngest daughter, Abigail. And uh, at one point, her eyes light up and she runs over to me and she says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. She's three years old at the time. She's Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I need some cash. Cash? I didn't know my three-year-old knew the word cash. How did she learn the word cash and what? But I knew exactly what happened. Because she had walked by a bank of those little glass jars full of gumballs and plastic trinkets and little like spider rings. And she ran up to me needing a pile of quarters because she had discovered treasure. Now, I have an economics degree from the University of California at Davis, otherwise known as the Harvard of Yellow County. <laughs> and because of that degree, I know that those little things in the glass jars are not good bargains. I know that that little spidering thingy that she just has to have didn't cost them a penny to make, but they want to charge her 25 cents to acquire it. And I know that as her dad, part of my duty to her is to teach her to live her life for more than gumballs and spider rings. And so I bravely say to her, oh, sorry, honey, I'm all out of quarters. I'm just all out. Would you stand as we read uh, the scripture, Matthew 6, 19 to 24. The words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Lord, this is a hard word and a good word. We pray that we would be open to it and they would hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I got to think, thinking about the word treasure. Jesus uses this word treasure twice 
And it's not a word that I use very often. And so I wonder, what do you think of when you hear the word treasure? What's the first thing that pops in your mind? Pirates. I heard pirates. Anybody else think, how many people have heard of pirates? Thought of pirates. That's what I thought of too. You think of like a pirate's booty with a D, booty. A pirate's booty, like a pirate's treasure chest, right? It's a pirate that has treasure. You know what else I thought about? I thought about billionaires. Billionaires have treasures. Let me show you that. I gotta tell you, I never before found myself craving a yacht until I saw this picture and that slide, and now I need one. I need one. I gotta ride that slide. So if anybody has one you're not using, uh, let me know. Because uh, I need that. You know, billionaires have treasures, right? We don't. We don't have treasures, do we? But a treasure as Jesus is using it, is whatever it is that feels like a treasure in the moment, whatever it is that we are longing to acquire. My wife sometimes sends me to the grocery store and she's very particular with what I'm supposed to get when I go to the grocery store and she knows that I'm forgetful and so she usually makes a list and puts on a post-it note and she hands me the post-it note and she says, Matt, you're gonna go to the grocery store and I want you to buy bread, milk, and cheese. That's all we need. Okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. You know, it's on the post. And I go to the post, I go to there, and, and, and what do I do at the grocery store? I see treasure everywhere. Like every aisle is full of food treasure. And I come back holding like six bags of food treasure. And I say, Joy! Look what I found at the store. <laughs> she says, Pop-Tarts and frozen food. Yeah, pretty much. And she hangs her head in frustration and she says, Oh, Matt, like I told you before we went, we don't have any more room in the freezer. One time, uh, you know, Joy, Joy, we like to go camping. And we, when we got married, we got this kind of small tent and then our family grew. We got a dog and we started having kids and... She, she said to me, you know, I could see, I could see the use of getting a tent with a little more room. So I'm like, okay. So I start looking online at tents and I start researching tents and let me show you what I bought. This, this would fill the entire stage, okay? This is, this is what I end up on. It's a 16 person tent. It doesn't have a little more room, it has four rooms. And our entire family of five and the dog doesn't even fill half the tent. But I kept finding out that you could quadruple your square footage with only twice the price. And it felt like a good deal to me. And so the mission to get a little more tent became the Tajma tent. And we have a, we have a hard time finding campsites big enough so I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating, right? Like we can't find sites big enough to put our whole tent. What's that? Flat yeah, and nothing's flat. Nothing, they don't make campsites flat enough for the Tajma tent, okay? But this is what happened. You know, 
I wish I could say my three-year-old Abby, all, all the lessons that she'll learn about not spending her life uh, chasing the gumballs and little, I, I, I wish I could say she's gonna learn all those good lessons from my successes the wisdom that I will bestow upon her, and then she'll grow up to make good choices. But I actually am finding she's gonna learn a lot of that from my failures. And with that, I'm gonna introduce you to something that I've held on to for a long time, knowing that one day I will need it in a sermon. This, my friends, is my box of COVID shame, okay? Anybody else uh, go a little crazy in the lockdown period of COVID? Anybody? Go a little nuts. You're just sitting at home and you're on the computer all day to be connected to the world and you're depressed. Anybody else buy things during that time? Okay. Well, here's my box of COVID shame. All the things that my kids made fun of me about. I, I don't know. I just went through this few week period where just I fell for everything on the internet, every little video and... These are some things that I bought. Okay. I saw this incredible sale for these two, these two like really comfortable chairs to take to your kids like sports games. And it was like the price for two of these chairs. So they were, the, 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 the package was super light. The chairs must be super light. I thought this is a great deal. But this is what came in the mail. What the heck? It turned out it's just the covers of the chairs. I paid money for chick covers with no chairs. I wasn't sleep. It was stressful time. I wasn't sleeping really well. So I, a video was put in front of my eyes. I don't know how I got, got, got there. They just, they just put it there and I just looked at it and it was a pillow that promised to solve all my sleep problems. You just strap it to your face, okay? And then the video was amazing. You, you were on your side and then you roll and then it just stays with you. And I bought this thing and I'm like, yeah, it's gonna solve my sleep problems. I've never actually tried it. I've never, I've, I just, I'm like, I just can't wear this thing. So I paid money for that. This thing, this, you know what this thing was? This thing I was pumped about. This thing was gonna be the thing that finally helped me make that breakthrough and become a great guitar player. Check that out, okay? Uh, it teaches you chords, supposedly. And, and the chart, and you, and you, but then it turned out when I got it, you need like an Allen wrench to, to tune it and a special bat. I don't have time to find the. I, ne I never even tried it. You know, it's just, uh, I still same level of guitar player. Just, but I paid money for that thing. Okay. Now, I don't know what it tells you. I don't know what it tells you about me. You know how they have targeted ads now? They're like, so the things they put in front of your face to watch, they, they, they have this personal data about you. So they, they know what they're doing. I don't know what it says about me that, uh, that they sold me this next item. But I, I, I saw this video and I thought, this is the most amazing thing. And I bought this. Okay, what is this, you ask? Okay, this is an alligator head remote control boat. <laughs> okay, and, and, and I lived in Florida and we had this pond in our backyard, right? And uh, people would like come into our yard to, they were, everyone was desperate for something to do. So they were fishing from our backyard. It was kind of annoying. <laughs> so, so the idea was that I would have this in the bush and the fishermen and I'd use my remote control and they'd all run away. It was going to be hilarious. I was going to trick my kids and then we were going to trick everyone together. It was great. 
And somehow with analytic data, they knew Matt's gonna fall for this one. And they had me watch a video and I bought this thing. But the, it, the, the motor doesn't work. So it just, it just floats there. It doesn't trick anybody. Stupid, stupid, stupid. So, and then, okay, here, my last one, this is the, this is, this is, this is the, the most embarrassing. And my, my family, you guys all know what this one is that I'm about to see. All right, I watched this video that probably Facebook somehow, they, they put in front of me, and it was a video. My gosh, it looked fun. It, it was, uh, people were playing like football with a giant 20-foot wingspan glider plane. And it looked so cool. I mean, they were running, they were throwing this thing. It would like glide and like, it looked like the most amazing. I'm like, my family's gonna, I'm gonna be the hero on the block with this like 20 foot glider football plane thing uh, that can fly 50 yards on a line. And, and, I, and I told my kids about this one and, 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 and we're pumped. I'm like, guys, go outside, go outside. We're gonna, we're gonna play the glider football. It's gonna be great. Get your friends together. And then they're all outside and this is, this is what I came out with. This, this is what I came out with. And they were like, what is that? Like, I don't know. It, it looked bigger on the commercial. I, 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 and they're like, well, try it. Joy's like, yeah, just try throwing it. I'm like, all right, here, go for a pass. <laughs> and then they just laughed and went about their day. But I, but I, paid, I paid money for that. $20, was it $20? I paid $20 for that humiliating. I've kept this stuff in a box for like over a year, like a year and a half or something, uh, knowing someday I'd have to confess to these, these things. But Who did Jesus speak these words to? The words that I read earlier, who did Jesus speak these words to? He spoke them to first century Jewish peasants. Like these crowds they were full of subsistence farmers, shepherds, tradespeople, and fishermen. They lived in dirt houses. We would, if we were to visit their house, we would look around and say, wow, you guys have nothing. If they were to come to our house, they would say, wow, you guys have spoons made out of metal. That's amazing. You have running water and electricity. That's amazing. I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask them, does your house have electricity? And if they say yes, say, wow, go ahead. Anybody? Did you, did you find anybody with electricity in their house? Wow, that's where we live. Amazing. The people Jesus was talking to would have no frame of reference for why an iPhone needs to have 14 cameras on it. Someone in the back is like, whoa, there's a new iPhone with 14 cameras? They're running to the store to go get one. But think about it. Jesus was talking to these subsistence farmers and shepherds and he was warning them not to store up treasures on earth. He was warning them about materialism. What would he say to me? Yeah. 
Now, one huge disadvantage that we have living in our current world is that the place where we live, we are surrounded by millions of voices telling us to buy treasures on earth. Every day we hit messages that say, love stuff, buy stuff, live your life to acquire stuff. Let me just give you a sample of, just a little sample, a minute and 15 second sample of what you encounter every day of your life, day after day after day. Let's, let's roll it. The diamond engagement ring. How else could two months' salary last forever? <laughs> a diamond is forever, De Beers. <laughs> you all know this one. I've been driving a Lincoln since long before anybody paid me to drive one. I didn't do it to be cool. I didn't do it to make a statement. I just liked it. Are we doing okay here? Absolutely. And what can I get for you? I'll have one of those. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? How many of you have ever experienced fear on a plane? Anybody? Not anymore. If you buy this beer, you'll suddenly be on a beach with a good-looking stranger who wants to be with you. If you just buy this magic beer, because nothing says peace and health and happiness like the word Corona. How did, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I like that one too. How, how did the beers, how did the beers convince us that this little shiny rock, which in the history of humanity had been liked, but not like now, how'd they convince us that that little tiny rock would be worth months worth of salary? They simply told us diamonds are forever. So now we realize what we're really buying is eternity. What a great value. Now let me just uh, show our hands here. How many of you ladies like that Matthew McConaughey Lincoln commercial? No, no, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Your husband's sitting next to you. Don't raise, come on, don't raise your hand on that one. But you like it. Now think about that commercial. Uh, he's, he's in the car and he's saying, and he's, you know he's been paid to say, I drove this car even before someone paid me to drive it. I just locked it. <laughs> you know, I turned him into Forrest Gump somehow. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> sorry. But, uh, but I hate to break it to you, ladies. I hate to, I hate to break it to you, but when you buy a Lincoln, Matthew McConaughey does not come with the car. He's not, he's not actually in that car. But the advertising industry in the United States spends approximately $138 billion, 
billion dollars to convince you to buy treasures on earth. And there's a sophisticated science behind how they manipulate us. They know they can't in just a few seconds infect us with a new need. They identify a human need we already have and then associate the fulfillment of that real human need with their product. Do you need respect? Buy a car. Do you need friendship? You can find friendship at Applebee's. Do you need peace in your family? Club Med. You know, the, the, the truth is, these four people are probably not even related. That's not a real family. You don't have that many good-looking people all in the same family at the same time, smiling at the same time. Those are four strangers. They paid to pretend they're a family. They bribed the kids with candy to smile for the picture. That's the truth. It's all smoke and mirrors. I am here to tell you today that if you want to really live, I mean really live life to the fullest, the way that it's meant to be lived, this is not the way. There's only one man that you need to know, and his name is the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> if you drink Dos Equis, you will have Dos Chicas. Look at how this young model, a third of his age, is gazing admiring, admiringly into his eyes, saying, wow, you are so interesting because you drink Dos Equis. And in recent years, they've gained the capability of targeted ads with massive amounts of personal data that tell them exactly what products to put inside of your face. And they say, Matt, based on what, he know, what we know about him, <laughs> he'll fall for these ones. I don't know what yours are, what ads you end up seeing, but whatever it is, they know, and they're choosing those things to get you. If you count brand exposure every day of your life, you're subjected to over 5,000 crafted messages telling you, buy treasure on earth. Everybody say 5,000. 5, but against those 5,000, there's one voice saying, don't do it. And it's the voice of Jesus. And if you want to hear that one voice over the 5,000, you're going to have to lean in. You're going to have to listen very, very carefully. No one's ever going to pay for an ad company to tell you, don't buy our product, right? All the voices you're going to hear for the rest of the day and the rest of the week are going to say, get some treasure. But Jesus says this, Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal. That word vermin, I first uh, memorized it uh, as, as rust. It's translated in other translations. It, it's a word uh, that means like corrosion or literally it's like the, the eating thing. Jesus, Jesus gives reasons for why we should not invest ourselves in earthly treasures. He says, moth 
rust thieves. The moths uh, represent the force of the natural world that devours. Rust corresponds to time, the power of time that corrodes all things. Thieves are the force of humanity which can take by cunning and force. Let me show you a few things that have suffered from this, these forces. That Persian rug was once a very, very valuable item. It was hand-crafted and cherished. But moth larvae ate up and ruined that Persian rug. That car was once a prized possession. Think about the pride someone felt the day they drove that car off the lot. Back then it had paints and windows and an engine. Thieves broke that window and they stole something. They were just gone in a flash. Jesus tells us this is the destiny of all material possessions. Every single one of them is dying. And just like my job as a dad is to teach my kids not to crave the gumballs and the little plastic trinkets in the jar, Jesus is teaching us not to attach our hearts to dying things. When we think about salvation, sometimes we think about it in an overly simplistic manner. We think, okay, I've done bad things. Jesus gets me out of trouble so I can go to heaven. But our salvation is is fuller and richer than that. He doesn't want to just save us from the consequences of our actions. He wants to actually rescue us out of all of that mess. Part of our salvation is that he's constantly disentangling our hearts from things unworthy of them. Many religions have sought to, uh, to counter this endless thirst for, for possessions and pleasure. Uh, and they've come up with different solutions. Buddhism, for example, will teach that you can empty yourself of all desire and find freedom that way. Jesus takes a different approach. He instead says, store up better treasure. In verse 620, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break it and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, store up treasure, but store up really, really, real treasure. Reminds me of a quote from C.S. Lewis in his most famous sermon that he ever gave, The Weight of Glory. And he says this, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward that are promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Jesus doesn't say have no desire. He just says, don't desire this. Desire something better. Desire something real. 
Jesus doesn't say have no ambition. He says be ambition, be ambitious for the care of God's children. Be covetous, but be covetous for the good of your neighbor. Yearn for accolades and praise, but yearn for it from the one who says, well done, my good and faithful servant, well done. What is really forever? Is it diamonds? Scripture teaches us no. Scripture teaches us that what is really forever is God and God's people. That's what will last forever. Lewis continues, he says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to our life as the life of a gnat. But as immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. He says, next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. So now I'm going to ask you to do something that might feel a little awkward, as is my custom. Turn to a neighbor, please. Find a neighbor. Find someone nearby. Turn to a neighbor. If there's not someone right next to you, find someone behind you or just say it to me. Gaze at that person in the eyes and say, you are more forever than diamonds. Go for it. They need to hear it. They need to hear it. All right, now find somebody else, find somebody else. You guys can do this at home. Find somebody else and you're gonna say to that person, I'd rather have you than a pirate's booty. I mean, you know what, you know what I mean. Just go for it, go for it. <laughs> one more, one more, one more. You're gonna turn to a third person and you're gonna say, you are better than a billionaire's yacht, please. All right. Now Jesus invites us, Jesus invites us to live like we believe the words that we just spoke. We are invited by Jesus to live like we believe what we just spoke to people. And he says this about our eyes, our perspective. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's teaching us that the clarity of our perspective will affect the health of our souls. We spend time and money on what we see as valuable. As we look at things, we value everything around us. Is that a good deal? Is that a bad deal? Is, is this worth my money? Uh, is that person worth my time? The clarity of our perspective will affect the health 
of our souls and we are invited by Jesus to adopt his value system. If we as disciples and followers of Jesus adopt the value system of Jesus, then every physical object that we own, we will suddenly see as less valuable. And every person that we encounter, we will see as more valuable. And it will change our life. Verse 24, no one, everyone say no one. I want you to say that because everyone in this room is thinking, well, no one but me. I mean, these people, sure. But no one, thank you, thank you, can serve two masters. No one can do it. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, you cannot do it. You have to choose. Just like last week when DJ brought to us the word about choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jesus says it again. You cannot serve both. So choose. You're gonna walk out of here today into a world in which people have paid billions of dollars to trick you into buying crap, to trick you into buying the Taj tents. okay? They're gonna say, bet on me for your happiness. But Jesus says, I know another way. My treasures are people, Christian character of love and righteousness and obedience and helping a neighbor and proclaiming salvation to a lost and hurting world. May we grow to be people that hear the voice of Jesus. May our hearts be rescued from dying things. I send you out into a world that's gonna lie to you all day long, every day. But I send you out with the voice and the hope of Jesus Christ who will guide you through it all who proclaims you as treasure and teaches you to live for what is beyond the scope of what we see. May he lead you and may you follow. Amen.